The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anchu Kana. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined, as always, by Anshu Kana. Anshu, we've got an NBA draft-heavy show today. We can call it an NBA draft special this week, because that's what we're talking about. But before we get to that, I've got to know how my friend's doing. Wow. I am doing very well. Exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. Our, our White Sox just beat the Cubs, which is huge. So we're rolling into this hot. Coming in very hot. All right, let's get right into it. We want to talk draft. It's this Thursday, so uh, the show will probably be released on Wednesday morning. Uh, So hopefully you have an opportunity to listen to this if you are a fan of the NBA and the NBA draft because this year could be absolutely bonkers. Anshu, let's, let's start by talking about Zion Williamson. So Zion obviously is the obvious number one choice in this draft. Uh, We're not going to talk about him from a betting standpoint, but I'd just like to hear what you think he's going to translate to at the next level. Looks like the New Orleans Pelicans are going to be the ones who take him uh, unless something crazy happens. Uh, But but what are your thoughts on how Zion translates to the next level? Uh, I mean... It's a great question. I, like we've kind of forgotten about Zion. I feel like even though this draft is the Zion draft, um, you know, we're so caught up in what's going to happen from three through whatever that we kind of forget that Zion, this draft is all about him. And, uh, you know, he's, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say we've never seen a player like him and I don't necessarily mean that as a strength and I don't mean it as a weakness either. It just is what it is. Like, I mean, he's, He's some combination of Larry Johnson and Blake Griffin and Charles Barkley, somewhere in between there, I would say. And, um, you know, that could be something absolutely incredible. And it could be something, you know, kind of just weird. And, I I mean, I don't think he'll ever be bad. But, like, I think it's up for debate that he is the next great NBA superstar. I think that's fair to say. Uh, Let me let me. Put it to you this way: Who do you who do you think out of the top three? I guess the kind of consensus top three guys in this draft ends up ten years down the road being looked back on as the the best player in this draft between Zion, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett. I still, I mean, I still think it's it's almost definitely going to be Zion, just because I like his explosiveness is unreal. But I I think there's absolutely avenues to both of those other two guys being the best. And I, I really do think RJ Barrett could be that guy. Like, I, I mean, we talked a little bit about it on leftovers, but I just, you know, I don't think it's really fair to judge him on what happened last year. I, I mean, I think he's a work in progress, but I love his makeup. I love the way that he plays the, you know, the intensity, the, the fact that he wants the ball in his hands at the end of the game, kind of like a young lefty Josh Dunn, honestly, I, I really like his primacy. So I'm a fan of, of R.J. Barrett. I'm squarely in that camp. I think he absolutely is clearly the third 
um, best player in this. And then, you know, you got John Morant, who is just an unreal player. The fact that he carried that team, the Murray State Racers, all the way to the tournament and won that first game. I mean, I, I think that he is, he's got the potential, if he can fill out his body a little bit, to be, you know, an you know, all-NBA type point guard. And that's something that's super valued here. Now, I, I don't know what kind of shooter he is. I have much more confidence in R.J. Barrett becoming a better shooter. But... I think any of those three guys could be the best. At the end of the day, I'd still take Zion, but I, I do think this draft is very strong in the top three. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the, the thought out there is that these top three players are going to be uh, pretty much you know locks. But outside of that, there's some confusion as to who will go where. Let's talk about some of the guys who come after those top three. And they've got uh, – we're looking at some lines here. Our friends over at Bovada, they've got Darius Garland and DeAndre Hunter – and Jarrett Culver all set at over under five and a half draft position. So talk about that next tier of three guys. They've got Cam Reddish at seven and a half. Uh, but let's talk about Darius Garland, DeAndre Hunter, and Jarrett Culver. Obviously Garland from Vanderbilt, DeAndre Hunter uh, from Champion, Champion Virginia, and then Jarrett Culver with the great run with Texas Tech. Yeah, I'll start with the most unknown, which is Darius Garland. I'm... I've been throwing on a ton of clips of him because I candidly did not see him one time at Vanderbilt because he only played like five games there. Um, but his, he's an electric player, man. I, I would have been very interested to see what kind of season he had there. I suspect it would have been kind of like Colin Sexton's was um, probably a lot more shooting and a lot more, you know, kind of like a three point and finesse game than Sexton's, which is, I think is more brute strength and just kind of a bulldog mentality. But Darius Garland has absolutely no fear, and I think there's a real chance he could have ended up being kind of like a Trey Young volume scorer without obviously the incredible assist numbers and really great handle. Um, you know, the issue with Garland to me is is the high, the height, and the just the he's so slight. He looks so young out there, and I think that that's that's just going to be a problem for him um, in the at the next level. But if he can shoot the way that he looked like he could early on his career, early on in his career at Vanderbilt, that's going to be a guy that can absolutely be useful at the next level. Um, yeah. You look at 373 pounds. You, you got the slight part, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tiny. And if you look at him, he looks small. Like it's not like, I don't know, some guys are shorter, but you know, they have that stocky sort of build or like the broad shoulders. You feel like they're going to fill it out. I mean, Darius Garland to me just looks like he's going to be a skinny dude at the next level, but We'll see. I mean, he, he didn't even get a full season at Vanderbilt and, you know, in that weight room. So uh, hopefully with an NBA training program, he's better. I think that the draw around Garland is almost what you don't know about him. Um, you know, the idea that he could be way better than Kobe White, which is why he's, you know, teams are clearly interested in that, that possibility. Um, you know, the captain, you know, you just you're so interested in something that you don't necessarily know. And I don't know that that's a good or a bad thing, but that's just kind of what the how the NBA works. So I'm interested, though, to hear from you about the difference between Culver and Hunter in your mind, because as the Cavs, you know, they obviously draft Sexton last year in the in the lottery, and they're sitting there at five, and you're sitting at the over-under on draft position for these three guys is five and a half. So, you know, one of these three guys is likely to be a Cav. Is there one that you're leaning towards? How do you feel about the three of them? 
Yeah, it probably will come down to these three. I, I read some reports that uh, the Cavs had a private workout with Darius Garland, and they were extremely impressed by him. I don't know that he ends up being there at five. I think if he is, that's that's a great pick, even though you would have two point guards. I think the Cavs rebuilding right now, you know, you have the number five and the number 26 picks. There's been talks that they're going to try to move up a little bit higher in that first round um, with a trade. And, and we'll get to trades, but I think if they're if, if those three guys are on the board, the one I would want to see them pick is Jarrett Culver. I think he, you know, I think he's mm-hmm. a good fit. I've talked about his defensive ability, his ranginess. He's got one of the best pure jump shots, mid range jump shots in this draft. And I think when you look at the guard position, I think that's where the most talent in this draft is. I think you can get a decent power forward with that 26 pick or maybe move up a little higher if there's a guy that you really like, like a P.J. Washington. Or, you know, if you if you have a, your eyes on a guy like uh, Cameron Johnson out of North Carolina, those are guys that you can move up and get. Uh, I've talked about mm-hmm. Fiondu Cabangale as a guy I like for the Cavs late in that first round. But I think if you if you have your pick between those three, and you're not going to because likely at least one, maybe two of them is off the board, but but at least one, uh, Jarrett Culver, I think, is the guy that I would go with, you know, for just, just – simply because I think that the guard the guard position is where the most talent is in this draft. Um, but with that being said, I do like DeAndre Hunter. I'm just not in love with the idea of a six foot eight, 222-pound power forward. Uh, I know he's got a big wingspan. He's got extremely large ar- or long arms, uh, and he's, he's extremely versatile at the defensive end as well. Uh, but obviously, if, if, you're, if your long-term plan is to keep Kevin Love, who we just signed to a big contract, I mean, he's a true power forward, and they're pretty deep at that position. You think about Larry Nance Jr. and some of the other bigs that they've added over the last couple years, I think that's a position that's not really a need. And, and you don't think about needs when you're a team that's rebuilding like the Cavs are. You take the best available player no matter what in the draft like they should. Uh, but I do, I do believe that Jared Culver is not just the best player that could be available at number five. I also think he's possibly the best fit there at number five. So if Garland's there, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cavs uh, take a flyer on him and hope he is that type of electric scorer that you talked about. Um, but I think Culver's the safer pick at five if he does fall to them. I agree. Um, I I was stunned to see Culver's free throw stats. I mean, it, he's. I agree with you. I think his stroke is good. He's only a 71% free throw shooter, which does not portend well to the NBA three-point line. That's sort of the the um, attachment that we see that, you know, free throws at the NCAA level uh, apply directly to NBA three-pointers. But I, I do feel like, you know, he's I, – I love his defense. I, I also like Hunter's, but – I just always like to Culver a little bit more. I think he's going to get bigger. Um, and, you know, Hunter, I believe, is a year older. I could be wrong about that. But I, I just really like Culver. I love that he was at, you know, Chris Beard's system in Texas Tech. I, I just think that he would be a great, great fit with the Cavs. I think he is clearly the fourth or fifth best player. I mean, I'm taking Garland out of the equation. But to me, he's those two guys are on that next tier. And then I would drop off slightly to Hunter and maybe Seiko Demboya. You talked about you know, maybe just taking the best available player and not necessarily worrying about the floor. I mean, Domboya, his, I was, I've been watching his shot a little bit. Um, and you know, his stats are whatever out of France. They're not Luka Doncic or anything, but he could definitely pour it in and he's got a good looking shot for how big he is. I think that's going to portend well down the line. Um, but uh, overall, I like all those guys more than like a guy like Kobe White. And then, you know, I think, the wild card of all this, which I think both of our teams have squarely in their crosshairs is a guy that probably coming into the season was the de facto number three pick. And that's Cam Reddish. So what are your thoughts on Cam Reddish? 
I, I think Cam Reddish is a guy that could end up falling to your Bulls if they stay at seven. I don't know that that's the pick that you as a Bulls fan want, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because Kobe White's another guy that you don't love that's been talked about as a potential Bulls uh, pick there at number seven. I, I think Cam Reddish, you know, we saw flashes of what Cam Reddish could be, and, uh, you know, watching him in a lot of the, the draft combine and interviews that he's been doing recently, you know, he's got a very reserved personality and admittedly a reserved personality, and I think that we saw that a lot at times on the court. He obviously battled through some injuries last year, uh, but he was a guy coming into Duke that was, you know, almost as highly recruited or as highly thought about as guys like Zion and RJ Barrett. And I think that he was kind of forgotten at times about how good he can be. But the one thing I did see through his reserve personality and watching some of, you know, the big moments with Duke last year is when he has a big moment, you do see that personality come out of him. And he, confidently thinks that he can be a number one guy at the next level. So we have yet to see that from him, you know, in his Duke years. But, you know, clearly coming out of high school, he was a guy that, that was thought of in that regard. So I think that I think that it's an interesting thought, but I think it's a huge risk if you're taking him as a top five, seven, eight lottery pick, uh, that he does just end up being what we saw out of him at Duke. I, I think he's got all of the intangibles. I think he's got the size and the speed and the athleticism to play at the next level, but he's just not shown that he has that killer instinct. And I've, I've compared that and, and, and I've compared Cam Reddish to Jonathan Isaac, who I absolutely loved. And he has mm. just crazy athletic ability. He's got a w- wild wingspan, uh, was an excellent shot blocker, had a great shot at Florida state, but he comes up to the next level for Orlando and he shows signs and flashes that he has what it takes to be a legitimate superstar at the next level, but he just doesn't do it often enough and plays very reserved most of the time. So I, I can see that not from a necessarily the game that he plays perspective, but just from that personality and that reserved uh, type of gameplay that we've seen out of Jonathan Isaac. I can kind of see Cam Reddish falling into that into that same vein. But you as a Bulls fan, I mean, you're sitting there at seven or potentially trading up. Who are you targeting? Do you like do you like Cam Reddish there if he does fall to seven? I mean, that's where they've got him on Bovada at seven and a half. Yeah, I I could totally see them do it. Um, you know, they basically did that with Wendell Carter last year, although Carter's you know, peripherals were much, much better. He was highly efficient, super skilled. Um, you know, Reddish, on the other hand, is, you know, he, he just hasn't exhibited that stuff. And I actually really liked him coming in. I thought, I'm just kind of, I I'm I automatically gravitate towards players like Reddish. You know, Kevin Knox is built the same way. Kind of that 6'8", 7-foot wingspan type with who can, you know, be your three, also play a four and a pinch in the new NBA, probably could play the two had a a really good looking stroke, I think. And that's what differentiates him in my mind versus Jonathan Isaac. But, um, you know, his defense is nowhere near what Isaac's was in my mind. So, you know, from that perspective, I, I just think that there, the floor is so low with Reddish. I mean, you could just see him bouncing out of this league in like three years, which sucks because he's, you know, he's clearly a talent that could, you know, be worth the top three pick. That so for that reason, I think if the Bulls were to take him at seven, I wouldn't be disappointed. Which I would be with Kobe White because I don't want to get down this line too much and act like I like all these players. <laughs> but as you said, I am not a Kobe White fan. I think that he is, you know, he's six five with a six five wingspan. Like I just don't see this guy being any more than a backup point guard in the NBA. I think that he can be a decent microwave type scorer off the bench. I think he can push the tempo for you you know, mix things up from a ball handling perspective. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a minus defender in my mind. Um, he's just got no wingspan. And I just, 
I don't know that he's anything more than just a guy. I don't really understand why he's considered a top 10 pick when there are guys like uh, players I love, like Carson Edwards, they're late in the first round. You brought up, you know, there's, there's a ton of other guys. I, I love like Tyler Harrow. At least, you know, he can come in and shoot threes for you and play defense. You said Kevin Gulley. I mean, I think that he's a good player. Matisse Tybel is an awesome defender out of Washington. You know what you're getting with some of these guys. I think Kobe White is just kind of your dreaming on tools that you just don't see. So that's my issue with Kobe White there. And I, I just think that the issue with this draft is from around nine or 10 to around, I don't know, 18, 19. You have a lot of the same types of like just the guys. And I'd rather just take the shot. I'd roll the dice with a guy like Dumboya or Bull Bull, even, you know, players that could, who have that high ceiling, even if their floor is much lower. Yeah, Bull Bull's a guy who probably would have been drafted quite a bit higher had he not gotten injured last year. And his tall and and, and very thin frame probably, uh, you know, some injury concerns there at the next level because he was definitely sure. a lottery pick coming out. Um, let's let's do something here. Let's let's go through a couple schools. So you, we touched on Duke obviously in a big way. Uh, North Carolina. We touched on Kobe White. He's we've also got Nasir Little. Uh, as well as Cameron Johnson that are probably going to go in that top 20 range. Uh, obviously, Kobe White, probably you know the guy who gets drafted the highest, but who do you think has the most upside of the Carolina guys? I, I mean, again, you talked. we talked about Cameron Reddish being a top three. Nasir Little was right there, too. I mean, they were top four, probably, when you think of the, the three Duke guys. And I would even put, I think coming into the season – you know, Zion was probably fourth out of those four guys, those, you know, maybe top five of those Duke and Carolina guys, you could easily have seen Zion going fourth or fifth of that group. So um, Nasir Little has massive potential. Uh, his issue was last year, he just seemed really uncomfortable. I mean, he came off the bench for a while for North Carolina, um, but six six with a 7-1 wingspan is really good. He's very, very young, um, you know, pretty good rebounder for his size. You know, I, I think that all those things pretend well, especially on defense with his athleticism. Um, and, you know, the fact that he shot 77% from the line proves that he's not a terrible shooter. Um, I like Nasir Little quite a bit. I think that he has the highest ceiling of those three guys. And I like Cameron Johnson, too. I think that he could potentially be like a Justin Jackson type there late in the first round. Yeah, they've got the over-under on Nasir Little set at 12.5, the under at minus 175, the over at plus 135. Wow. I think Nasir Little is an interesting one because, you know, I think that there's a lot of teams that have very different grades on him. And, you know, you think you think about those North Carolina guys and all three of them could go in a, probably a range of about five or six to ten picks. And Kevin Porter out of USC is another guy. You know, a lot of people I've, I've heard call him a lottery pick, and I've heard some people say they wouldn't even take him in the first round. So... Uh, there's some guys that definitely are, are kind of in that same conversation, but let's move on to the Kentucky, the Kentucky guys. You've got PJ Washington, who I know you're a big fan of Tyler Harrow, who you briefly touched on earlier and Keldon Johnson. These guys are, you know, right in that 15 to 20 range uh, of upside wise. Who do you think has the most upside as a pro on the, on the Kentucky front? I mean, PJ Washington for sure is that dude, six, eight, seven foot two plus wingspan came out as a sophomore I expect him to be a late lottery pick. Not a great shooter, but this guy's got a ton of potential. And we saw when he came back how different that Kentucky team was, what he meant to them. And, you know, he's like the anti-Cam uh, Reddish, based on what you were talking about with Reddish in terms of being like a passive player, a guy that just 
the ball seems to almost flow away from him in some instances, which is odd. I feel like PJ Washington is that centerpiece. I know that he plays a position and he plays it in a way that isn't tailor made for today's NBA. But when you think of like a rim running, rim running center and a dude who can, you know, absolutely get the job done from an athletic perspective and rebounding. Um, I just really like PJ Washington. I think he's going to ultimately be a, a very nice player he could develop into a Capella type. I think he could be even better than that for with you know some more development to his offensive game. So I really like P.J. Washington. I think that he's got the highest ceiling. And Tyler Harrow, I think, has the highest floor of maybe anyone you know outside of the lottery. Like I, I think that this guy, you know what you're getting. I mean, this guy comes in, he's 19, you know, he's a freshman, shot 94% from the free throw line last year. So, you know, you're getting an absolute stud shooter, um, you know, not great wingspan, but was super athletic. His his testing numbers at the combine were outstanding in terms of his vertical leap. I think it surprised some people because he's obviously so, so white coming from Milwaukee, but um, he's awesome. And I think that Tyler Harrow is a guy that you plug into a contender, maybe with one of those Boston picks. I think that he's a player that could come in right away and have some of the best stat lines that you get out of this class. All right, in that vein, let's close it out with one more blue blood, the two Gonzaga power forwards. You've got Roy Hachimura and Brandon Clark. These guys both projected to go in that 10 to 15 range. Uh, you know, very, very, both have very high upsides coming out of Gonzaga, but uh, who do you think ends up translating into being a better pro? Boy, that's a great question. You talked about kind of the all over the map uh, situation with Nasir Little, with, I'm sorry, with uh, the USC, with Kevin Porter. And, I think that that's exactly what you're getting with Brandon Clark. Um, you know, he's, I think, the oldest player in this draft other than maybe Ethan Happ. Um, but the dude is just like an analytical dream. Like when it comes to what, you know, speaks to a future successful NBA player, he's he's been, he's awesome almost across the board. Like his field goal percentage is great. His efficiency ratings are all top, top notch. Um, you know, defensively, he's great. His really his only issues are the fact that he's old and, you know, he doesn't have a great wingspan for his size. So I really, I think that Brandon Clark's got some ability. I mean, he only shot 69, not very nice percentiles out of, uh, at the free throw line. But um, other than that, he's really good. On the other hand, you've got Hachimura, who's like a stud offensive player, but an absolute garbage defensive player. And then you wonder if, you know, his 42% three-point percentage is betrayed by his 74% free throw percentage, because usually... Like, again, his free throwers, that should line up more neatly. And the fact that it doesn't, I think, raises red flags for me and I'm sure for many NBA GMs. So um, I guess I would say Hachimura's floor is a little bit higher, but Brandon Clark could be like a Todd Gibson type that you get in the you know latter half of the first round. Any deep sleepers you, you, you are looking at that maybe people aren't looking at as, as lottery guys that you really think? I mean, I know you mentioned some of the international guys. Is there is there somebody maybe in the late first, early second round that, that maybe teams aren't talking about as much that you think translates really, really well to the next level? I just, like, I don't understand how Carson Edwards is in the top 25. You love him. <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, I, don't, I honestly, I, like, you... <laughs> he's six feet. Yeah, he's six feet, but he's got a six, six wingspan. So he's got a better wingspan than Kobe white, even though he's four inches shorter than him. This guy does nothing but hit millions of threes as balls, the size of watermelons. Like he's a stud. Like, I just don't understand how people don't see him as at the very least a total microwave off the bench score. I just don't 
I don't understand it. He has deep NBA range. We saw it at Purdue. We saw it multiple times in the biggest moments. He's had a huge sample size of success. He shot 84% from the free throw line, 40% from NBA three, 54% three point shooter at the college level. That's freaking insane. I mean, that's like, and he's a really rock solid defender and he just wants the ball. Like I, I just, he's such a Josh Dunn type player. I'm a huge fan. I don't understand how he's not, you know, going around, you know, the 20 range. And I would easily make him that pick. And I, I honestly think he should go ahead of Kobe white. I would take him over him. Wow. Would you, yeah. would you, what if the bulls traded, what if the bulls trade down to, to, to 15? Is he worth, is he worth taking at that, at that 15 slot? I mean, I think I'm already all in on him. So I would absolutely take him there. It's I mean, I, I could happen, name, but. No, no, no chance. The Bulls would rather sell their second round pick than draft Carson <laughs> Edwards with it. But um, which I saw the Lakers are in the market. I'm sure the Bulls are a willing answer to the phone call there. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, like if you're if you're telling me like Cobb and Gale or uh, you know or Carson Edwards, I'm probably taking your boy. But I think that you know out of there's probably 15 or 20 players that are better than him, but I, I would feel very confident that his floor is high. Kind of like Harrow. Like I think that is both their floors are high, assuming that they get the minutes they deserve. So that's just my opinion. What do you got? I, I, I definitely want to hear about Calvin Galley a little bit more out of you and you know, anybody else that you might like. Yeah. I mean the couple of the bigs that, that I was talking about that I think that could be available for the Cavs. I mean, one that, that I think would be a little bit of a reach because of the injury concerns that you have is Chuma Okiki. I mean, he was a huge part mm-hmm. of this Auburn run before he goes down and then they continue winning without him. But he's a guy on the defensive end that I think could really project at the next level. He's definitely undersized for a power forward, but we're seeing smaller and smaller power forwards have success at the next level like we didn't see in the 90s when we were growing up watching the NBA. He is only 6'7", mm-hmm. um, but I think he's a guy that, you know, he'll probably go somewhere in the mid-second round, but he's a guy I think if you're willing to take a chance on the uh, the, the ACL that he tore in the, in the tournament a year ago, he's a guy you might be able to get some value on there. Uh, mid-second round. So I really like Okiki. Admiral Schofield's a guy out of Tennessee that I liked last year. Another guy who's very undersized. Uh, He kind of disappeared at at important points in the tournament, but he's still a guy who I think has a lot of offensive ability. But again, an undersized power forward at only 6'5", but he's got He's definitely a little chonk uh, when it comes to when it comes to his, his body type and, and down low, uh, but yeah, definitely. Kevin Galley's a guy that that I think whoever ends up getting could potentially be getting a steal. And I I know that sounds Homer, and I, obviously he's a Florida State guy, but I just think where he's been projected to go in this draft is I just I think he's better than that. He's they, they've got him on ESPN as the number four overall center. Uh, the number 23 overall ranked player. But he's a guy who can step out and make a mid-range jumper. He's one of the best shot blockers in the country, has ridiculous leaping ability. He's Dikemi Matumbo's nephew, and he plays like it. Uh, so I, I would love to see Kevin Gale. He's, he's, he's a guy that can kind of uh, take over a game scoring-wise, too. And we saw him do that a couple times in the tournament. I mean, there were, there were games where it looked like Florida State was down and out, and then he would score 10 straight points. Uh, so he can make jumpers. He's, he's one of the better rebounders in this draft. He's physical. He definitely has to work on his uh, his touch a little bit. I mean, he's definitely a guy who's got some raw ability that will have to be refined at the next level. Uh, but Kevin Gale, if he if he somehow falls to twenty six in the Cavs, I mean, I will be the happiest person on draft day, regardless of who we end up taking with that number five pick. So, obviously, like I said, sounds like a homer, uh, but he's a guy who can 
get uh, you know bang down low and, and draws a lot of fouls, gets to the free throw line, and he's an excellent free throw shooter for a big guy too. So at six foot ten, two hundred fifty six pounds, great shot blocker, excellent scorer. He can hit a mid-range jumper. I mean, his game, it really, if, if, if refined at the next level, his game is one that I think can translate really, really well at the next level. Yeah, and just to add to that, I first of all, amazing. I think that that's really well taken. But I think that seventy, the 76% from the free throw line is what you lo- you dream on. If you draft him, even at like 20, I think you could honestly justify that because of his size and and it's so rare to find a dude with that size have that kind of touch and that ability maybe not that touch but that sort of skill uh you know it's just rare to find and he's still yeah he's 20 or 22 he you know he's been there for three years but you know he he can get better he can get a lot better I mean he's still a really raw 22 so I look at him as a project that you know, you could see resolve towards the end of his rookie deal and be a real, and really his floor is high too right away because of what you said about the shot blocking and the size. Um, you know, he's a really fast rim running type of big that I think can make an impact right away for a, for a contending team. And I, I, if I'm the Cavs and he's there at 20, I mean, I'm running up there for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, he also made 37% from three uh, last year as well for Florida State. So obviously in a league that, you know, basically is demanding your big men to be able to shoot threes at this point. He's another guy who can continue to work on that jump shot and I think hit him at the next level too. So when you have a, a as close to seven foot guy who can step out and make shots as a good shot blocker, I mean, fundamentally he probably needs to work on his defensive skills. Like we talked about on the offensive side, needing to refine that game a little bit. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think it's definitely something you mentioned his age, you know, that's a concern, but you know, it's definitely something that I think can be worked on. And I think he's somebody who can add some value to a team, uh, you know, not too long after he's drafted, which is what you want toward the end of the first round. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if his draft draft stock continues to rise as, as, the combine continues and you know the i think today was, was today the last day of the combine or do we have one more before the draft they're doing um workouts private workouts right now so the combine was a couple weeks ago in chicago and um yeah they're just going through individual workouts team workouts right now but I, my guess is he will i will be surprised if he's his name isn't called on the first day i honestly i'd be surprised if he was there for the Cavs, and if he is they need to run up there for him yeah, and I think part of the reason his draft stock isn't higher is because the the Florida State, the way that they utilized their depth. Uh, he only played 22 minutes a game there. I mean, I think if he if he's a guy who plays, you know, 28, 30, 31 minutes a game, you know, his stats would look a lot different, and I think teams would be looking at him a little bit more closely. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I think he's got a lot of potential, mm-hmm. and it's going to be interesting to see where he falls because he's another guy that, that, you know, his range of where he could go in this draft is pretty wide. It's if there's like 20 guys that could go, if you told me Kevin Porter went 14 or 34, wouldn't surprise me. And there's another, I don't know, half the guys you mentioned, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, if it was, you know, if Romeo or if Nikhil and Alexander Walker goes 14 or he goes 28, won't surprise me either way. So there's a big group bunched together in that area. And that's not, I mean, that bodes well for a team drafting at 26, like your Cavs, because I think you're going to have the chance to get your hands on a guy that, you know, maybe should have gone in the late lottery in this draft. I like it. Let's close it out with these two over-unders. So uh, both of them set at 12.5, both of them with minus 120 on either side. How many trades will happen on draft day at 12.5, and, and how many freshmen taken in the first round at 12.5? Anshu, what do you have on these two? Holy shit. Oh, man. Okay. Um, trades, man, that's wild. Because that's a high number. It, they, they're... 
There's so many that happen the second round, though. They like all that's on draft day, though. So that that's both rounds. So I guess that I guess it's more. I didn't realize, you know, if that's the first round, twelve and a half is crazy. But there's so many of the like you mentioned. We were watching the draft together last year. There were so many little, you know, one off like crazy nonsense trades that happened in the second round. I know. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's going to happen again. But like, if we just think, how many big trades do you think happened in the first round on draft day? Like, do you? Do you see the Hawks being able to get eight and ten to move up for four or what? Like, I mean, what are your thoughts? I think we're going to see two or three. I really do. I, I think I think that there's going to be two or three teams in the top ten that either trade down or try to reposition or, or, or try to bring on you know legitimate you know talent for draft picks. I think you're going to see that. I, I I think this year is a little bit more interesting with as far with respect to trades, just because of how many pieces and how many. You know, chess pieces are going to be moved during the free agency period. I think people are going to try to position that with this draft. Yeah, I I tend to agree. So, um, but that being said, I, I if we agree that there's like two or three big trades, are there going to be eight or nine in the second round? I mean, there's thirty picks. Uh, that would be a lot. I'm going to go under. Well, the Bulls are due for at least one or two of those cash considerations you alluded to. Absolutely, you can you can pen in the Bulls with the trade, the selling of the second round pick to the Lakers. Literally. When that happens, I promise you that's going to happen. Like that, I don't promise it, but I I would be shocked if it's yeah, just so bold <laughs> for that to, to go down. So I'm ready for it. I love it. All right, aren't you that that should do it for it? Wait, wait, we didn't touch on that last one. We still have oh, to the say freshman. the freshman. All right, so freshman, we got Zion's one, RJ's two, Garland is three, Reddish four. Jackson Hayes is, but Jackson Hayes, I believe five. Um, Bulbul, Lang- Langford six. Bulbul seven. Um, Nasir Little eight. Did we say Lang- Langford? Romeo Langford's nine. Tyler Harrow's ten. So now we just need three more, right? Um, Yeah, Kevin Porter's eleven. I think that I, I mean I don't know that any more are going to get drafted though in the first round. So you're 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 looking at eleven for sure, and then I'm not sure that you're going to get another two. So I would probably lean towards the under on that. All right, well for minus one twenty, you can have it, my friend. <laughs> nice. If nothing else, I think that we all know that this is going to be a fun draft. Our team's both in the lottery at five and seven. That's always fun to see how that ends up. Well, fun might not be the right word. We've seen them blow it in the past. But hopefully (laughs) it's not an Anthony Bennett type of year for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't I don't think that's going to happen for you, man. Two two picks in the top 26, I, I think you're going to get two good players here. Let's hope so. All right, Anshu. Well, I think uh, that's going to about do it. Thanks for joining us on this special NBA draft edition of the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. But for now, our time has come to an end. For Anshu Khanna, I'm Josh Dunn. We will see you guys next week. (laughs) 